It's Tuesday, April 2nd, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Budapest, Hungary. Well, we are privileged today to have Paul Aiken join the Defender Podcast. My wife, Ashley, and I got to know Paul and Carrie when he served as the midterm minister at the church at Brook Hills, our home church. He was on the global uh, discipleship making team and served with midtermers training and equipping those. Uh, Paul is uh, currently the team leader for new missions sending at the International Mission Board, and he just recently graduated with his PhD in applied theology from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Paul and Carrie, before serving at Brook Hills, were uh, among Muslims in Africa and the Middle East for two years. Uh, he and Carrie have four children, one son, and three daughters. Well, Paul, we're grateful that you could join us today on the Defender Podcast. First and foremost, we know that uh, you also grew up in the home of, of a pastor, Danny Aiken, who is now the president of South. Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and we know that uh, Danny uh, and your mom really poured into uh, you and your brothers, Um, but one of the first things we want to know is what was it like growing up in the home of a pastor and denominational leader, and how would you advise other leaders, pastors, and ministry leaders from the perspective of being a ministry leader's child? Yeah, thanks, Herbie. I appreciate it, and really excited to be on with you today. Um, You know, for me, it it was normal. Uh, growing up in the home of, of a pastor and a minister, that was really all that I knew uh, growing up. And uh, so hearing my dad always talk about uh, trends that are going on in the church or theological disputes and the like was was very normal for me and my brothers uh, growing up. And we really enjoyed kind of growing up in that atmosphere, that environment. My dad was was really great at always including us in conversations and letting us just be curious kids and ask lots and lots of questions. He was very patient with us, uh, patient with our, I would say, with our ignorance, and really helped us to understand a lot about uh, the church and about what God was doing in and through the church uh, at that particular point in time. And so for me, that was was pretty normal. It's it's really what I knew growing up, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, I would say today, as as we think about, you know, pastors and church leaders, people who are in ministry today, you know, the, the challenge is always how do we prioritize uh, quality time? You know, there's, there's so many distractions. There's so many things that are vying for our attention and for our affections. I think when you, when you think about just the increase in technology in recent years, I think that's even multiplied even more where, where there's just more and more distractions, things that are fighting for our time. And so I think we, we have to be vigilant to to prioritize, to, to calendar, to schedule family time. And so that may be uh, each night at the dinner table to make sure that there's, there's quality time there with the family. That may be uh, bedtime, you know, those who have younger kids who are still putting their kids to bed. I know for, for many of us that sometimes some of the best conversations happen when we're putting our kids to bed at nighttime. It may be the weekends. It may be, you know, being intentional about vacations. There's a variety of, of, of ways we can think about that, but we need to to really work to be present in our kids' lives. And, and when I think back uh, on, on my own life growing up and with a dad who was in ministry, and uh, as I was growing up, he was, he was being sought after in many ways more and more as a preacher, as a speaker. Uh, he was you know, traveling a lot on the weekends and doing interim pastorates and those kinds of things. But one of the things that I always 
remember and appreciate was my dad would always block off time to make sure that he was coming to me and my brother's basketball games. And he knew that sports, he knew that basketball was really important to us. And so he would, he would badger our coach uh, months and months in advance to see if he could get a hold of the of the schedule for the year and he would go ahead on his calendar and just block off all of those dates and I and I remember uh, it was I think my freshman year I had two older brothers who were seniors and then I had a younger brother who was in eighth grade my dad said he went to over 125 basketball games between November and February <laughs> that one particular year because all of us were playing whether it be middle school or JV or varsity all in between he was constantly in the gym during that year, but you know, for, for a busy guy like him, he, he made that a priority just to block those things off so that he could be there with us. And that was really important. So I think I would just encourage pastors and church leaders, to, you know, today to, to really prioritize that, that quality time with their family uh, in light of all the demands that ministry brings. Yeah, and I, I think even outside of ministry, I mean, you look at uh, really just men, there's so much pressure on us to be engaged in other things. And especially as leaders, there's always someone else that needs your input or your touch. And one of the things I've actually uh, heard your dad talk about is Saturday mornings during football season and, and just literally the, the boys with your dad getting down in the den and watching college football. And so I've heard that from his perspective, but growing up with a dad that was that intentional, what kind of markers do you feel like that left upon you now as a leader and as a father um, and as a pastor? Yeah, that's good. You know, I think, for, like I said earlier, you know, for me, that was, that was normal was, Hey, on, on Saturday morning, we, we get up and, and we sit down and we watch football together. And it was so neat because obviously we're talking about the games and having conversation about those kinds of things throughout the day, but because we're spending, you know, two, four, six, eight hours together all in front of the television, there's obviously other conversation topics that come up during that time. And so we were really just talking about life together. And so those, those Saturdays together, were really critical for me and my brothers just to talk through life. I mean, the conversation would move back and forth between sports to theology to other things that we would just be discussing in the course of time. I sometimes feel a little bit, a little bit sorry for my mom because it was Saturday was kind of a, kind of a guy's day. And so she was kind of on her own a little bit because she wasn't a big football fan. But for us with our dad, that was, that was really key and critical. And so I just think I would encourage fathers, you know, it, it doesn't have to be around sports. It doesn't have to be around football, but, Try to think through what, what, are those, what are those natural rhythms in your life where you're, you're building in quality time with your kids, where you can really engage with them in conversation, where you can hear what's going on in their lives, where you can get down on their level and, uh, and really converse and engage with them. I think that's really key and really important. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's so critical. And, and it's, it's even neat to see your family, uh, how many of you and your brothers have invested your lives in ministry. And I know that one of the first places that, that you guys, as a, as a married couple and a family, you and Carrie, spent time cross-culturally uh, among those in a Muslim context uh, in two different continents. So obviously, being in those contexts, you are a minority, uh, not only uh, from a religious standpoint, but being a believer in a Muslim context, but also culturally and racially. Uh, what, is it, what, what was it like during those years being one of the very few Christians, but also being in a place where you were the cultural minority. Yeah, you know, for, for us, uh, we were a minority. You know, we, we lived in uh, two different contexts, in, one in, in East Africa, one in the Middle East, in particular in the Middle East. I mean, 
uh, it was 98% Muslim where we were living. And so those of us who were evangelical Christians, uh, we were in the minority. And uh, both Carrie and I grew up in the United States in, in kind of the Bible Belt area. And it was clear now that we were living in the Middle East that we were no longer in the Bible Belt. Uh, you know, I think the Wizard of Oz, where it's like we're no longer in Kansas anymore. And that was kind of the way that we felt. You know, we're, we're definitely not in a place uh, like we were growing up. And so that was evident to us, you know, every day, every single morning at 5 a.m., we lived about 100 yards away from a mosque. And so the call to prayer would come blasting through our windows every morning at 5, 5.30 in the morning as the sun was coming up. And then every Friday when the Muslims would gather together in the mosque to hear the Friday sermon, the Friday sermon would be blasted out over a loudspeaker so that all the people in the community could hear. And so those were regular reminders to us that uh, we were strangers. You know, Peter, Peter describes us in the New Testament as strangers, aliens, and sojourners in the world. And that was a key reminder to us that we, are, we, we were strangers and aliens in this place, but that God had sent us there on a mission with a message to proclaim. And so we learned a lot. Uh, we learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about our marriage during that particular time. And so obviously in the positions that you've been in since coming back, uh, out of those contexts have been in encouraging others and equipping others to go on mission. And even as we talked about before, you were integral at the Church of Brick Hills in training, equipping, and sending out midterm missionaries. And and there are some that may not feel called to, to full-time, but, but, you know, they want to get engaged in another context. Maybe they have a job that would allow them to work remotely for a short period of time, or, or maybe they're a college student that's transitioning back and, and thinking through what career they're going to get into. I know that midterm missions is a big part of this, the global sending strategy, both for the IMB and for the local church. So why would you advocate for people to consider going midterm on mission? That's a good question. Uh, you know, there's, there's an old uh, adage, Herbie, that uh, people don't know what they don't know. Uh, and that sounds like common sense, but in, in reality, that's a very true statement. People don't know what they don't know. And so you can talk about unreached people. You can talk about from the pulpit people who have never heard of Jesus. But it's completely different to be sitting across a table and staring into the eyes of one of those people. Uh, and so I think short-term, mid-term mission provides a great opportunity for people to be exposed and to become aware of what global mission really is. And so a lot of times when we think about, uh, you know, short-term or mid-term mission, we want to think about how do we get people exposed to the reality of lostness around the world so that, you know, hearing about somebody not knowing Christ isn't just something they hear in a church in the Bible Belt, but they actually go and actually see and experience that themselves. How do they become aware of the, the reality of living cross-culturally and ministering cross-culturally and the challenges and the opportunities that are there? I just think it's, it's key for us to understand as Christians that there's a big world out there and that our God is passionate for his glory in all nations and our mandate as followers of Christ is, has always been global in scope. I mean, even back in the book of Genesis, God promises Abraham that he's going to bless the peoples of the earth through Abraham and his offspring. And then, you know, you kind of move through uh, to the book of Psalms where we, we come to like a Psalm, like Psalm 67, where God talks about blessing the peoples of the earth. And then we get to the end of the book in Revelation, and we see that there's going to be a people gathered around the throne from every people, tribe, language, and nation. And so 
you think about the Bible, the beginning of the book, the middle of the book, the end of the book, we see this global picture of what God's wanting to do in the world. And so I think going short-term, going midterm is very practical ways for us to engage in what God is doing among the nations. And so uh, I can, I encourage people as much as I can uh, to begin by going short-term, but then, you know, after you've had a uh, kind of your, got your feet wet going on a couple of short-term trips, maybe one or two week kind of trips to then consider, hey, maybe maybe God wants me to go for a little bit of a longer period of time. Maybe he wants me to go for, for two months, like what you and your family did to East Asia. Or maybe God's provided an avenue or a means for me to go for six months. I, I know retired couples who have said, hey, we're going to spend six months here and six months there. And that's the way they've chosen to spend their time in retirement because God's blessed them with the resources to be able to do that. And so I just think we have to get, get creative a little bit and think through, yeah, how can God use me either short-term, mid-term, and, and maybe is God using short-term and mid-term to lead me and my family to consider going long-term? Hmm. And, and that really even goes into this next question. You know, many of the folks that listen to this podcast have adopted, and many of them even adopted internationally. And one of the things I know at Lifeline that we really want is to recruit mission-minded, missional Christian families that are not just thinking of adoption as a transaction, but are looking at adoption as a discipleship opportunity, both for a child that may be vulnerable or in need of a home, but also in adopting that nation and that birth country where that child is from. And one of the things that we want to always encourage these families to do is to stay connected to that country of origin, your child's country of origin, and, and praying for that country and taking the gospel uh, to that country. As a, as a leader on the International Mission Board, the largest uh, mission board in the United States, can you give us some practical ways that families could stay involved if they're not led to long-term, short-term, or mid-term missions? What are some ways that they can practically stay involved in helping take the gospel to those nations? That's a good question. You know, Herbie, I think one of the key things is uh, is prayer. And I think sometimes it's cliche for us to talk about prayer. And that's just kind of something that we feel like we have to kind of, we have to mention. It's kind of a box that we feel like we have to check. But I don't think we realize that every single day we have an opportunity, regardless of where we find ourselves on the planet, we have an opportunity every single day to engage in what God is doing among the nations through prayer. And so as we get up in the morning and we, we get down on our knees, we can cry out, proclaim to God on behalf of people literally all over the world and asking God to, to do a mighty work in and through people's lives from wherever we are around the world. And so that's not just a, not just a phrase, but something that we can practically do each and every day is pray. And so I would encourage families who have, who have adopted to, to build into the rhythm of their life with their children praying for those nations. And so I know families that have adopted from different countries in Asia and different places that have made it a, um, a rhythm and pattern in their life to pray specifically for peoples in that country, in that place, uh, as part of their regular everyday life. And so I would encourage folks to, to pray and to realize that prayer is powerful. It's one of the primary means that God uses to accomplish the Great Commission is our prayers. And so I would, I would begin by encouraging people to pray. And there's all kinds of resources that people can look at. IMB has, has a prayer app that gives pretty uh, 
up-to-date information about peoples and places around the world. Obviously, there's resources like Joshua Project and others, Operation World. There's a variety of different things that you can look at, but praying would be the first. And then next would be giving. So obviously, like like you mentioned, not everybody can go. Not everybody has the the freedom and the flexibility to go spend uh, extended periods of time living and ministering overseas, but they can give financially of their resources, of their time. And so giving to uh, organizations like IMB, so we, we collect an offering every year called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. A hundred of that offering goes directly to our work around the world. Uh, IMB right now is working in about 130 different countries around the world. And we've been uh, in existence as an organization for almost 175 years. And so a long track rec- record of faithful work in ministry and so giving to organizations like imb there's also organizations like bgr which stands for baptist global response it's more of kind of the disaster relief arm of southern baptist churches and uh, they do a lot particularly with with refugees and different projects and uh, disaster relief things that are going on at different places around the world so bgr uh compassion you know i know folks who have uh, adopted from a particular country and then they've also uh, signed up to sponsor a compassion child in that country as well to keep them connected, to keep their child connected to that country. So I think that's, those are good opportunities as well in terms of giving. And then obviously we've talked some about going as well. You know, when kids get to an appropriate age, I think it's it's not a bad idea to think about taking them on a short-term or midterm mission trip to that particular location. I know that there's complexity there and it could be awkward and odd at times, but I think taking them back to that location and letting them see uh, just the realities there on the ground and what God is doing and the potential there, I think is a good opportunity as well. So I think praying, giving, and going, those are some of the kind of the more cliche ways we can be involved, but I think those are key uh, for families who are wanting to keep uh, their children involved and as they think about where they've adopted from. Amen. And and I think even as we think through that, I know that the heart and the prayer of a lot of these families is that even maybe one day, uh, these children that they have brought home through adoption as their sons and daughters will will have a heart to, to go on their own and want to take the gospel back to uh, their birth country and their country of origin. And, and, and with that, uh, I know that that's a beautiful way, especially when these children could go back, because there are so many challenges in missions today, uh, and, and especially when we talk about living cross-culturally, uh, when we even talked about you and Carrie living in different contexts and being a minority, uh, there are great challenges to missions today, and in your position at the IMB, what do you see as some of the challenges, but also the greatest opportunities before the church today in reaching the nations with the gospel? Yeah, I think, you know, we think about challenges to global mission today. Uh, I think particularly for us in kind of a North American, I, 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 let's say the, the West, you know, we talk about North America and Europe. Those of us in the West, I would say, you know, the, the idea of the American dream or materialism uh, continues to be a great challenge. You know, you just, you meet people. The other day I was having a conversation with somebody and we got talking about religion and pretty quickly they said, you know, I have no need for religion. Uh, financially, they're well off. Um, they just don't feel like they have any need in their life for religion, for Christ, for church. And so I think material prosperity can lead us to think that. And so I think that's a challenge that we're going to continue to have to face 
uh, particularly here in North America. Uh, I think about challenges around the world, particularly where the church is growing, places like uh, South America, Africa, and different places in Asia is what I would describe as uh, neo-Pentecostalism or the prosperity gospel. Uh, that continues to be a big challenge. Basically, the idea that the prosperity gospel is this idea that if you believe and follow Christ, he will bless you with material wealth um, and, and health. And uh, unfortunately, that idea is taking off in many places around the world where the church is growing very rapidly. And so places like Brazil, places like Nigeria, and other places where the church is really growing, the prosperity gospel is also growing significantly to the point that I think uh, many people are believing in a false gospel. Uh, and so I think that continues to be a pretty significant challenge that we're going to have to face in the, the years ahead. And then obviously also there's other things like the rise of Islam. I mean, just by reproduction only, Islam is growing uh, in some ways at a faster rate than Christianity because Muslims are having more children around the world. And so uh, the rise of Islam is going to continue to be a barrier that we're going to have to think about in the decades ahead. But I do see, like you said, there's, there's obviously challenges, but there's also lots of of opportunities. You know, we live in a, a global world today, and technology has essentially flattened our world. And so we have the ability right from where we are with our mobile phone to be able to engage and dialogue with people across the world instantly with, with no delay. Um, there's, uh, so that flattened world idea, I think, allows us to uh, have an opportunity to engage people that maybe were once closed off to us because we would have had to have gotten on a boat or gotten on a plane in order to engage with them. I think technology allows us to uh, engage with those people. The other day I was talking with somebody who works in Brazil and he said he knows a lot of pastors in Brazil who listen to Paul Washer and John Piper and David Platt and others. And they're learning so much about their theology by watching these guys on YouTube. And, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that would not have been possible. And so technology, I think, opens up lots of opportunities for us. And then I would just also say, I think there's a general openness to spirituality around the world. Um, I think people in uh, Islamic context, in some cases, are are getting a little bit tired of some of the things that they're seeing from Islam or some of the emptiness that they're experiencing when they uh, engage in Islam. And so I think this, that general openness to spirituality is, is an opportunity for us to bring the gospel to those people and to show them the hope that they have in Christ. And so, yes, there are, are great challenges, but I also believe we're living in kind of a unique time where there's lots and lots of opportunity for us to engage the nations with the good news of the gospel uh, to see uh, much fruit. Amen. Well, we are just absolutely so grateful God's faithfulness to you, brother, and to so many uh, who work there uh, at the International Mission Board and around the world for the International Mission Board. And so certainly we know that, uh, that, that the International Mission Board is responsible for sending so many godly men and women uh, single men, single women, married men, families uh, around the world uh, for the proclamation of the gospel. And we're grateful and just continue to pray for the leadership there and for the ministry through the International Mission Board to help see the Great Commission fulfilled. And I, I would just uh, ask that, that those that are listening, look into the ways that you can support a Lottie Moon Christmas offering or to, to get engaged with the work of the IMB and specifically to not uh, neglect or to forget about or to, to stop 
thinking strategically about how to take the gospel to your child's country of origin. And, and, and also, as the Lord gives opportunities to get engaged with missions. Well, well, Paul, we thank you for joining us, and we will continue to pray for you and for Carrie and for the ministry of the International Mission Board. Thanks, Ruby. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.